through August 19 is uh, when registration will open uh, for Bible college. Everybody, come on, let's give God praise for that. Okay, so in the morning, you're going to see on social media and the church website, all these places. Uh, the interns have this figured out, I'm sure. Uh, but um, um, uh, you'll see the link to, to register. This year is a little bit different in the sense that this year we will have first-year students. Hello, somebody. And second-year students. So let's give God praise for that. Uh, we have worked very hard to keep the cost the same. It's $200 a semester. There's three semesters a year. So uh, $600 a year is going to be the total cost. And some of those things in that we've built in uh, child care. And so when you register uh, on the link, there'll be some things. Do you need child care? If so, how many kids are you going to have? Uh, Miss Katie Delholm and her team have been doing that for us on Wednesday nights. Um, and that's going to be very, very important uh, in the sense that um, child care for Wednesday nights for Bible studies also happening. Uh, so Katie and her team are going to need to know how many kids are coming and those things. Uh, if you know someone who is interested in the Bible college but doesn't come to church here, that's perfectly fine. You can give them the link and they can sign up and come to church here. We have, believe it or not, we have many in the class who go to other churches. And uh, that's an incredible thing. Uh, let me tell you this. May of 2023, this, that's this coming May. Everybody say this coming May. There is going to be a graduation on a Sunday morning here where people will graduate from Bible college with a fully supported, fully, whatever you call that, associate's degree in biblical studies. Think about that. Think about that. Uh, and then uh, in two more years, uh, there'll be uh, people who graduate with a four-year degree in ministerial arts and with a bachelor's degree. Uh, and so these are fully accredited degrees and those particular things. Now, there have been some people that say, hey, I already have my associates, I already have my bachelor's. Can I just tag on? That's not possible for what we're doing here uh, in the sense that uh, what we're doing here has to do with ministry uh, specifically. That's why I've been able to eliminate math and English and that kind of stuff uh, from these degrees. Uh, so, uh, but it's going to go out tomorrow. Help us. Help us. Everybody say, I'm going to help you. Oh, some of you will. Share the link. Share the link. It's going to come out. Uh, you can pay right there on that. Uh, I have to have the money at the end of your registration so you can't complete the registration form uh, simply because we have to pay for the books up front. Are you with me? And uh, we had some people, hello somebody, who signed up for uh, a third semester last year and, and um, Anyway, we ordered books and we had to eat the cost of those things. So, Pastor Don has uh, promised the elders that that's not going to happen again. Hello, somebody. Uh, and uh, I, that's important. So, you'll see it. It's very fun. It's exciting. Uh, there's a lot we learned. Uh, and uh, I, some of it, uh, Rod and Justin Gantz and uh, the usher teams and security team have also done inside of what Buddy Bell was teaching when it comes to the ministry of helps with ushers. And uh, those things is super, super good. Uh, very practical, and uh, it will challenge you in the Bible. So, first-year students, Anne Renee's going to be teaching the first-year students this year. Let's give Anne Renee a hand of that. Amen. And uh, I'll continue on teaching with the second-year students, uh, and we'll see that. Eventually, the goal of our Bible college is to have uh, four classes running with one first-year, second-year, third-year, four-year students. And, and uh, if you think about it, every year after our fourth year, we're going to be having a graduation on a Sunday morning in May uh, every year after that. So I'm excited. I'm really excited uh, about the opportunities of what's happening there. So uh, good things. Amen? Everybody say good things. All right. It's 1115. Let's go. Turn to your Bibles in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. I have loved this series. Uh, now, I, as, as someone who's been writing it, the interns can tell you uh, for sure that God's been speaking to us as we've been putting it together, expounding on those things. And, and God has just shared so much uh, of his heart, I think, with us through this series. Uh, uh, David Campbell's going to preach next Sunday. And then we're going to start right away into a, the new series uh, that we've been working on called uh, Journeys, uh, Jordan's Journey, where we look at crossing the Jordan. And uh, that series is going to lead us to our marriage sermon series. Hello, somebody. 
And then that series is going to lead us into our Christmas sermon series. And so uh, God has kind of laid out for us the path towards the end of the year. And we're excited about that. I want to read to you Exodus chapter 15. Everybody start with verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And this is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Hello, somebody. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host has cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Who's writing these lyrics? Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoils. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them, and they sank like... Come on, somebody. Led in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led them in your steadfast love. The people whom you have redeemed, you have guided by your strength and by your holy boat. Let, let's just pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Bless it to the hearing of our all ears and receiving of our heart in Jesus name and everyone said who's writing these lyrics do you know how long it takes to write a song I mean sometimes it can happen in a moment boom just over time but most of the songs are based out of experience. It's based out of uh, something you've gone through, something you can express because of what you've moved through, uh, something, those things. I need you to understand something here. That's not this song. The, the, the night before the Red Sea split open, what Moses did is he gathered around all the musicians and said, hey, let's write a song. And everybody's like, sure, we got some words. It's not what happened. Because they didn't have any words. Because they didn't know what was going to happen. Can I say this to us? God cannot be a way maker if something ain't in the way. Well, there's a revelation for you. for a prodigal to come home if a prodigal hadn't gone God can't be a way maker to heal our bodies if our bodies if sickness ain't in the way God can't be a way maker to save our souls if lostness isn't in the way God can't be a way maker to deliver you if something that's keeping you a prisoner isn't in the way God cannot be a way maker unless something's in the way. Charles Spurgeon said this. Wash your face every morning in a bath of praise. Hello, somebody. Wash your face every morning in a bath of praise. I need, us to, I need us to see this scene, and I'm just going to share it with you the way I see it uh, as I read the Scripture. Is that all right? I just, I, wanna, I just want you to see this scene. The opposite side of the Red Sea. I, I want us to see this sea on the West Bank. 
they, they start on the east bank. And east wind blows. Come on. And they end up in the morning on the west bank. And the waves that once were walls that they walked through safely now crashed in on their enemies. What once saved them by splitting open now saved them by crashing down. The terror was gone. The night is past. And there's nothing left but stillness and shock at daybreak. Let me tell you why I said that. Because as much as we've been through this series in the last 10 weeks, not once have we pointed out, but God has waited to this moment to give us this revelation, is that the splitting of the Red Sea was not what they prayed for. They didn't, they didn't ask God to split the Red Sea. Come on. That was not their prayer. As a matter of fact, if Moses is their mediator between God and them, then what they did is they looked at Moses and they said, what? We're going to go back to Egypt. Their prayer, when faced with an impossibility, was what? We're going to go back to slavery. That was their prayer. God, let us go back. Most didn't tell you to leave us alone. We want to go back to slavery. This is too hard. This is too difficult. Did you bring us out here to die? Were there no graves in Egypt that we could be buried in? That's actually technically their prayer. Their prayer was never God split this sea. Their prayer was never God get us on the other side. Not once did they ever, ever, ever do that. And so for me, as I'm reading here, they have to be standing on the west side of the Red Sea, walking all night long, the sea crashing in, the sun rising, and them seeing the bodies of Egyptians floating. They must have been shocked. What just happened? Because in our wildest imagination, we couldn't have imagined that was the way of deliverance. That was, that was not what we put to God. And so I'll tell you this. I believe that standing on the West Bank early in the morning, they were not initially thankful. Emotions flowing through their bodies were not initially joy and celebration. They're shocked. They're not, they're not celebrating because God answered a prayer. Come on, if God answers a prayer, man, we want to celebrate. We want to testify. Man, God healed me. God delivered me. God brought my prodigal home. God saved my marriage. God put us back together. We want to testify. We want to celebrate. Come celebrate with me, right? Isn't that what the parables teach us? If a lost coin has been found, come on. We come and rejoice, right? If a son comes home or daughter comes home, we want to rejoice, right? Let's rejoice at all those things. Right? No, no, there's no joy here because they're not celebrating an answer to prayer. This is not what they pray for. And so their emotions instantly could not have been one of joy and celebration. Why? What just happened? In their wildest imagination, they could not have saw God delivering them. Not this way. Can I say this to a church? Sometimes we live in hopelessness because we presuppose the way God will deliver us. Sometimes we stand on the east bank of our Red Sea. And we are hopeless because we presuppose the way God should have worked, would have worked. And because we have presupposed, we can't imagine that God would do it some other way. And our focus becomes what's in the way 
of how we have presupposed that God would deliver us. And because that's in the way, then it's over. There's no use. God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't help me. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. God didn't do it the way I thought he should do it. And so it's not going to happen. I'm going to give up on it. Just let me go back. And so I will. I'll go back. Listen, when our imagination has exhausted all ideas, we give up and we settle for bondage. What they saw were the bodies of their taskmasters dead. Okay, so maybe those that had armor on are at the bottom. And finally, this is the way I see chapter 15. Finally, out of the silence, maybe a whisper. Then a slight little buzz. Then maybe more whispers. And it starts to rise. And like a volcano, an eruption of a song is birthed. Not out of joy. Come on, church. But out of response. One voice in a whisper says, I'll sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. And maybe there's an awkward pause and another voice shouts out the horse and its rider. He's thrown into the sea and, and another joins in the Lord. It's my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. And more voices start to shout, he is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. And the song begins to rise. It begins to rise, not because someone took the time to write out lyrics, not because someone had a past experience of how it happened, but because there is a response to what God has just done. This song... This song is birthed out of a response, not out of joy. It's the first song recorded in the scripture. Praise, birthed by God answering in a way that they could not imagine. And I can imagine the roar and the echo across the desert through the skies all the way to heaven. Exodus 15. Come on. Can you, can you just imagine it? And here's where I'm at. At the end of all of this, here, I, each Sunday, I, each Sunday I come in and I, I raise my voice in this place with everyone else, all singing, heartfelt out of gratitude. Come on. But sometimes I'm troubled by those who don't join. Are those who seem so distracted and uninterested, even willing to skip the whole thing? Do, do, you, do you realize you can't skip Exodus 15? No. Do you understand that praise and worship is not part of a religious ceremony, it's just not part of the Sunday morning schedule? Praise and worship is a response. And if we think we can just forego that part of it, because that's not as important, important as the word. We're missing our time to respond. We're not lending our voice in response corporately to what God is doing with us. Now, the question I have to ask myself then, why? Why is there, is, there, is there this ability to be distracted or uninterested or even willing to skip the whole thing? Why? Why is it so hard sometimes to celebrate God's mighty deeds? And the answer for me is simple and it's personal. 
because God is working on me too. Because oftentimes my praise is based on my perspective. My praise is limited to my satisfaction in God. My praise can't happen until God brings the prodigal home. My praise can't happen until God fixes the marriage problem. Or my praise is permanently deleted now because God didn't fix my marriage and now I find myself divorced. My praise is permanently deleted now because God didn't bring that prodigal home. My praise is permanently deleted now because God didn't heal my relative who was sick. My praise is permanently deleted because God allowed me to go through something that was unfair. And therefore, because my perspective about praise is based on what I receive or how I feel, I might actually go through some things where permanently in my life I lose the ability to be interested in responding to God. Because now I find myself broken and divorced and what will become of me. Now I find myself returning back to what God had once delivered me from. And now not only am I still a slave, but I'm heartbroken. Oh, I'm helping somebody. (laughs) I don't know who it is, but maybe it's just me. Why? Why is it so hard sometimes to celebrate God's mighty deeds? Because we base our praise on our perspective. Can I help you out? Now, David Campbell, who will be here next week, spends time with us in the winter. I mean, he reads Greek and Hebrew. I, I don't. He can write Greek and Hebrew. You ought to see it. It's pretty interesting. And uh, he was doing that for us in a school of ministry one time. He was writing some things in Greek, and, and, uh, and he walked away. And, I mean, it just it looked like Egyptian hieroglyphs to me. And he walked away from it, and he looked at it. and was like, oh, that's not right. And he went over and erased it, and he corrected it. He's the only person in the room that wouldn't know. <laughs> but I do study. And what I understand is this. The words to thank don't exist in the biblical Hebrew. (gasps) What? Thanksgiving is relatively a modern term. In the Psalms, where a worshiper says, I will praise the Lord, he doesn't mean I will be thankful to God. Instead, the translation is, I will respond to him for what he did. Because sometimes what God does isn't what we pray for. And if you just wait to respond to God because he does it your way, in your time, no wonder you struggle with thankfulness. No wonder we struggle with gratitude. The Bible says enter in his grace with praise and thanksgiving. But the word thanksgiving means response. Oh, come on church. I will respond to him. When praise is done out of emotion, it will or will not happen. Based on emotion. But when praise happens in faith, as a response to his goodness, that's when praise becomes the power to transform our lives and change our perspective. That's it. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you right now by saying, hold on. Buckle your seatbelt. You better grab your neighbor. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need a crisis. One of the reasons God allows us to go through tough situations 
is to give us an opportunity to sound forth praise. God expects a response for deliverance. Amen or oh me. John Trapp said this. He lets out his mercies to us for the rent of our praise. And is content that we may have the benefit of them so he may have the glory. God lets out his mercies for the rent of our praise. And he is content that we might have the benefit of our praise so that he has the glory of our praise. Hello, somebody. In the history of the church, in the history of the church, our greatest praise has always come from our darkest moments. Praise and worship are the sand of cement. Holds it together and it thickens it to its place on the path. And every segment of our day should be encased in praise. As a response. Early in the morning. As the sun rises. Have you ever listened to all of creation raise a hallelujah? Have you ever just walked out of your house early in the morning, like right as the sun is coming up, and the birds, it's like, dude, they are throwing a block party. And you're just like, what? where did all of these birds come from? And why do I not hear it during the middle of the day like that? I was walking to my truck one morning, and I I opened the door. I could not hear it. I was in the house. I'm going to the gym, right? It's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and and I'm I'm headed out the door, and I'm going to the gym. And as soon as I opened the door, I was just bombarded with, it was robins, but it had to be 10 million of them. The sun was, it's just getting bright, and they're, they're raising, and I was like, They're singing their song to to God. They're raising their hallelujah. And it was was incredible because I had woke up that morning with that song. You know how you wake up sometimes and first thought you got this song, this melody in your mind, and it was right there and raise a hallelujah. And I walk out and boom, it hits you in the face. And I'm like, all of creation is raising its hallelujah. Ever watch the sky change from dark to light? And as it does, it literally declares how great thou art. Come on. I mean, early in the morning, sitting on the river now, just watching the, 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 the east comes up from behind us. And, and, and as it does, the sun comes up. It, it shines its light onto the river in front of our house. And, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm just sitting there in the... the Blinds are open on the sliding glass door. And, and, and one moment I was, I was looking out and I couldn't see. And, I, and then I looked back down and I'm, I'm working through my devotion and, and reading and those things. And, and I, I, take, I, I take a sip of, of the tea that I made and I look up and oh, poof, there it was. I was like, I couldn't see that a second ago. And the clouds have this color in the sky. How great thou art. Have you you ever just postured those moments? You see, church, we have to develop a perspective of praise that's not based on emotion. Instead, built on response. Revelation 18. Notice I said revelation. It's not plural. Hello, somebody. Let me just bless you. (laughs) The book of Revelation is not a book about end times. The title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that happens in the end times. We'll get it. We'll get it one day, Lord. We will get it one day. We'll stop mysticizing everything and start focusing on you, Jesus, I promise. 
Revelation 18, there's a great weeping in the world over the destruction of a great evil city. It's verse 10. But Revelation 19, there's a great rejoicing over the same event. The world is weeping over the destruction of this great evil city. Come on. But in Revelation 19, there's a rejoicing. Verse 1, 3 through 6, over the same event. You want to tell you what the difference is? The difference is this. The difference between alas, oh my, and alleluia is your perspective. This trouble has come on me. This, this Red Sea. I've come around the corner and now I'm stuck. Now I can't go any further. God has led me here. It's all God's fault. Right? It's all Right? And so alas, I'm in trouble. Alas, I'm in trouble. Hallelujah, God has brought me here. And if God has brought me thus far, do what I can't imagine, God. And let your name be glorified. What if we prayed that way over our prodigals? What if we prayed that way over our church? What if we prayed that way over our vision? Amen. What if we prayed that way over our purpose? God, do what I can't imagine. Do what I can't imagine so that you get the glory and you get the honor. Let me not limit you in who you are and what you want to do, God. Instead, let me be used as a vessel. And if you want to split the sea, I'm walking, Lord. Amen. If you want to do that, I'm good, Lord. Let me not find myself ever shell-shocked that you did what I couldn't imagine. Come on, church, right there. This is my praise. But see, we get stuck in a last. It's over. It's all over. Anybody ever flew through the Atlanta airport? Raise your hand. Now, it's huge. Atlanta is huge. It's a, uh, I think it's a hub for Delta, right? And, uh, uh, you, you know, the concourses are separated so far, you've got to literally get on the train and, and, and go underneath to the next concourse if you have to switch concourses and those things. I mean, it's a big airport, right? And I remember that uh, there was, we came into the airport, we didn't even know if they were going to let us land because Atlanta had a storm and it was a major storm and the pilot's like, we don't know, we, excuse me, we actually circled for a bit. Uh, and finally, they let us land. And as we landed, they had delayed a lot of flights inside of uh, uh, the Atlanta airport that afternoon. And uh, I think, I think we were coming back from, I don't know, England or somewhere. But anyway, we had come in, and it was, it was storming like a southern storm. Hello, somebody. I mean, it was rocking and rolling. And as we got into the airport, they, I mean, airports are usually busy in the concourse. But it was packed because people had been delayed. So there were extra people who shouldn't be there. And then there were people who had showed up on top of that. And they're trying to figure it all out. We get to our gate and they're trying to say, hey, we don't know when you're going to get to leave because, you know, the storm is so bad right now. And, and the electricity was flickering. And I mean, it was a bad storm in Atlanta. And this thing was just going on, going on, going on. The weather was horrible. And I remember trying to rush to our gate because we thought we were going to get left because we had been delayed. Hello, you ever been there? You ever, you ever feel like you had to run through the airport? And when we got there, there was, everything was stuck and, and it was just that way. And finally, we actually get to get on the plane. But then the storm raged up again after we sat down on the plane and the pilot come on and go, look, it's just, it, we don't know if they're going to let us take off. And you can look out the window and the clouds were just, it was midday, but it was black as midnight. And, and, and lightning was happening and thundering was happening and rain was happening. Now, the, the story is this. Eventually, we did take off. Everybody say, praise God. And boy, I've wrote, written on a few planes and, and um, it's incredible. I, I don't mind flying and, and that kind of thing. But boy, this time, the, the pilot, when, he, when, the, when the plane left the ground, he pulled that jet up so hard that you could feel it like you sit back in your seat and you can actually see that the nose of the plane is higher than you are sitting like he's pulling that thing up you can feel it and you know for you cedar point people we're like pull it up pull it up you know like that's what we want he pulled that thing up so hard and so fast why because he wanted to get above that storm as fast as he could 
Now, here's something that's unbelievable. That plane flew through those clouds, and it leveled off at a high altitude above the clouds. And to be honest, when I looked out the window, it's breathtaking. Because it was peaceful. Bright, white mountains of clouds as far as you could see out the window. The very same clouds underneath were angry and mean and destructive. Same clouds. What's the difference? My perspective. You see, a storm looks different from the upper side. And God is always watching us from the upper side of our storm. Oh! Come on, somebody! He sees peace when you see rage. He sees calm when you see storm. He sees smooth sailing when you can't imagine that you would ever, ever get above that storm. God is God because his perspective is eternal and he looks down on everything. And that's what I'm excited about. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. It says this, If you then being raised, everybody say raised, raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Come on, somebody. Seek those things that are above. I want to help you. I want to help you. Because, see, here's the deal. Praise is the confident response at who God is. Then follows what God is doing. Then follows what God is doing. Then follows what God will do. Not the other way around. When it's the other way around, praise is based on emotions. That's why you can leave it or take it. If you had a bad week where you chewed your nails down to your elbow... You coming in here like this doing praise. And then when you catch yourself swaying a little bit to the song, you're like, oh, wait, wait. Can't praise God. He didn't answer my prayer. Can't praise God. My husband acted fool this week. Can't praise God. My wife's on the warpath. Can't praise God, all my kids are demon-possessed. <laughs> Praising God. Tell God, do something. Now I get it, nobody's ever going to say them words. But you and I know that's how that goes. That's not Exodus 15. And you can't get to Exodus 16 unless you get through Exodus 15. You can't get to Jordan unless you get through Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. God's universal grace and mercy must be a personal Possession. That's the work of true faith in our lives. Every act of mercy. Every act of mercy, wherever it is experienced, should confirm the claim that the Lord is my strength. The circle is complete only as it leads us back to praise. The Lord has become my song. You need to live in verse 2. I just broke it down. There's a little exegesis. The preacher, one of the formal trained preachers, and he can appreciate that. Just exegesis, verse 2. Some of the Bible students will get that here and some coming. The circle of praise isn't complete unless it circles back to praise. He has become a song. He has become a song. 
He's become my song. He's become my song. Come on, somebody. He's become my song. He's become my song. Can I just tell you, praise cannot be predicated on everything being well. It cannot. If it is, we will never praise him. Because let's be honest in this house, there are some times when it is not well. It doesn't scare God. You don't have to pretend with God. I mean, we get going to praise having to pretend like, let's don't let God know it isn't well. Your praise can't be based on pretend. Can I, can I just, seven years ago, our grandson passed away. I asked for permission. Can I say this to you? It was not well. And, and people trying to love me as best they could, and my family, they just said, oh, you know, I, one person said to me, God, uh, Pastor Don, in, it'll get better in time. I don't. You'll, you'll get over it in time. Can I just be honest? I don't want to get over it. That's not spiritual. There's no one to forgive. So it's not about forgiveness. There's no one to be angry at. I don't want to get over it. I want to grow in it. I want to strengthen my resolve in the sovereignty of God. That God himself has numbered the, ma- the days of a man. And that the length of the days of a person has nothing to do with the impact that they make on earth. And if God lets a man or a woman live to be a hundred, or he lets them to live to be two and three quarters, he is still sovereign. I don't want to get over it. I want to grow in my resolve of who he is in it. I want to learn that when it's not well, my praise is not predicated on what I'm experiencing. And I'll be honest with you, I've never watched the funeral until this week. Until this week. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I still have some things to wrestle with over to God. If you don't, just tell me how you got there. How'd you arrive to the point where you're not still wrestling with some things over God that you don't understand? You tell me how you got there. I still have some things to wrestle with. I could not bring myself to watch it. But this week I I watched it. And I watched my daughter walk up on stage and so Rita and Anne Renee put their hands on her. And I see, see her look at the crowd. It's just past standard room only. And I seen her look at them and say, It is not well with me. But it is well with God. And I watched my daughter lead us. And it is well with my soul. And I wept. Because she did what I taught her to do. Not what I was perfect at doing. She responded to God in faith. And so did everyone else. There was no joy in that moment. Let me tell you something. And many of you have experienced it. And Pastor Don is going to continue to say it. You know You know we live in a broken world when they have to make caskets that small. I don't need crooked politicians. 
a messed up government to tell me the world is broken. I've seen too many small coffins. It is well. It's not a song that's sung out of joy. It wasn't written out of joy. It was written in loss. Remember, praise means I will respond to the Lord. The circle begins as we personally claim God's mercy and grace. The Hebrews find themselves on the west bank of the Red Sea praising God for something they didn't even pray for. I need to to share it because every one of us in this room, we're human and we're broken. And in our mind, we're going through some things. In our life, we're going through some things that literally is a Red Sea. And the only reason at this moment you can fathom a prayer, God, will you part it, is because you read this story. If you had not read this story, you would never imagine God to do it. That's why the Bible says that that story in particular is put in the Scripture for our admonition. Not to teach us what the Hebrews did, but to teach us what God did. That's good. The truth of the matter is, There are some marriages that may wind up in divorce. You're going to have to praise God through it. I'm not condemning a soul. I'm saying I believe God can part any Red Sea. And that on the east side of the Red Sea... Is the front side of a miracle that I can't even imagine. And that if you make it to the west side, you'll stand there in shock that God did it. Some of us parents, we're going to have to praise God through our prodigal's journey. There's some sick people, you're going to have to learn to praise God as a response. To who God is, not as a response to healing. I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it right now. God can split any Red Sea. There's addicts. Who try for a day or for a time and return to Egypt. Because... They didn't praise God as a response. Instead, they waited to praise God through an emotion. There's some people who are struggling in your mind. And the interns and I, this this past 10 weeks, um, we worked on one thing and one thing only. And it was our mind. And the one question that challenged us for 10 weeks is, what lie have you believed? Come on. Was that not, that was, it was so liberating because I can approach every point of struggle right now with that question. What lie have I believed? Is God unfaithful? God's unfaithful. It's a lie. God can't do it. It's a lie. Come on. What's the truth? If God brought me to it, God can bring me through it. Praise God. Praise builds confidence in God. And it continues with triumph and future anticipation. Come on. Come on, church. Not only has God brought them out of bondage, but I want you to pay attention in chapter 15, verse 17. Watch this. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. A place, O Lord, you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. 
Lynette gave us Psalms 118. Can I, can I say this? Can I say this with all the boldness that's inside of me? Another version says, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. Can I say this something? God wants to give you something. We ended VBS with God is surprising. And I'm, I'm, I'm going through the night going, okay, God, you can't be more obvious. God is surprising. The west side of the Red Sea, there's not a soul who isn't surprised. What just happened? Did you pray for this? It wasn't me. Did you pray for this? It wasn't me. Your praise, all praise, my praise is incomplete without confidence in God. Come on, church. Come on, church. It's incomplete. Listen, are you willing to trust God for the future? Are you willing to trust God for the future? Let me answer it for you. Matter of fact, you already answered it. Your praise answered it. You done been through some stuff. I done been through some stuff. And let me just bless you this morning. We ain't done with some stuff. We got, we got, hello. It's coming. My praise is based in response. Come on, church. To what God is doing. God has brought us out of slavery from so many things. Do you know in this room right now, there are people who've been delivered because of the power of God from stuff you can't imagine. Come on, somebody. There's some people who've been set free from prisons that you can't imagine the depths and darkness of the places. There's some people who've been liberated in their minds that you don't even imagine where their minds have been. There's some people, come on, who've been set free from sickness and disease. There's some people who've been uh, delivered from addictions and burdens. Come on. I just want you to understand that in in this room, there's some alcoholics set free. There's some drug addicts set free. In this room, there's some depression people, amen, who are now rejoicing. In this room, there are some people who experience anxiety that now can rest in the peace of God. In this room, there are some people who once were lost, uh, but now are saved. Y'all not helping me this morning. There's some people in this room, maybe I'm the only one. And you wonder why my praise is crazy. Listen, I don't need a pogo stick. <laughs> I bounce in response. And I remember having a conversation with Malin and her looking at me and going, Dad, what are we going to do? And, I, and I, the only thing I said to her was, we're going to do what we've always done. And you're going to go sit down at that piano and you're going to play. And we're going to sing. I don't want to. I get it. But we did. And I, I can remember a little girl at nine years old, ten years old or whatever, taking four years of piano lessons in one year. And I remember picking her up one night from piano lessons and the piano teacher said, don't, don't bring her back. <laughs> I, can't, I can't teach her anything else. Not, I don't have the skill to teach her anything else. Not that she couldn't learn more. But I remember in that moment that that miracle happened. Not so that she could play the piano, but because God knew that one day it wouldn't be well. And praise would have to be a response. And I want you to realize that God knows. There's been no Red Sea in your life that God is not able to split. And hasn't given you the ability to walk through. 
But moving forward is always your responsibility. Moving forward has nothing to do with joy. It has everything to do with response. And if you can't, it's a sign that you have put your confidence in your own efforts. And that's why you're left paralyzed. It's a sign that you're choosing something else other than God. Put your confidence in Him. The difference on the east bank of the Red Sea and the west bank of the Red Sea has everything to do with who you and I have put our confidence in. Praise must not be. It cannot ever be based on our emotions. And let me just settle this. Your praise style don't have to be mine and I never put that pressure on you. Hello, somebody. You ain't got to run around here and do the glory run if you don't want to. But if you want to, go ahead. Everything's done in order and with respect. That's fine. All praise must flow out of faith. Confidence in Him. And when that transition happens, thanksgiving and joy come. Stand with me. There's not a person in this room who didn't stand here this morning having found themselves in a broken situation. And shame on religion for condemning us. But responsibility also rests on me. To not accept my brokenness as normal or the will of God. Instead, to put on his righteousness and be filled with his spirit. Regardless of the Red Sea Church, regardless of what stands in front of you, God's intent is to plant you, is to plant us on the mountain of his inheritance. Oh, I just need you to understand. I just think if, if we are people who are going to inherit something from God, we're never going to be hungry. We're never going to be thirsty. We're never going to be cold. Come on, church. You're never going to lack for anything. It's God's inheritance. It's God's inheritance. It's God's inheritance. And what we have lost on the journey, God, God, God will restore. And so whether you're on the upper side of your storm, whether you're on the east bank or the west bank of the Red Sea, God will make a way. And as he does, let us not forget to praise him. Are you with me? Father, bless this word. Help us to rest in it for strength. Thank you, Lord, for this series. Thank you for your revelations that the Red Sea has given us. These points, God, are transformative. These points are powerful. You, God, have done great things, and you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Hallelujah. Come on, sing this song. He has done great Hallelujah. Greater things are yet. There's some people in here this morning. You need to make a response right now. He has done great things. Don't withhold your praise because you're hurt. Greater things are yet. Because you're disappointed. Respond to God. Who loves you? And has an inheritance for you. This altar's open. He has done great things, even when we couldn't see. The greater things are yet to come. Come on, church. Let praise arise within us. Let praise arise among us. Let praise arise as we gaze upon your beauty. Let praise arise within us. Let praise.
praise arise among us. Let praise arise as we gaze upon your beauty. He has done. Come on, church. He has done great things. Greater things are yet to come. He has done. He has done great things. Greater things are yet to come. of the Lord. Yes, I want yes, more. Yes, I want more. My eyes have seen the goodness of the Lord. I want more. My eyes have seen the goodness of the Lord. I want more. I want more. My eyes have seen the goodness of the Lord. I want more. Let's see again, my eyes. My eyes have seen the goodness of the Lord. I want more, I want more, my eyes have seen the goodness of the Lord. We love you, Jesus. In this place, God, we believe in your goodness, God. Thank you, Lord, for the transforming power of perspective. That you're the God who is seated on high, and you look at every storm, and you see peace. God, I just pray right now. This message has challenged us. And maybe there are some things to do that you want to do, God, that we haven't prayed for. Because we can't imagine that you would do it. As a matter of fact, maybe there's some things that we have given up on. Because we have been disappointed that you haven't done it so far. Or that you have led us to this place, God, where we feel trapped and hemmed in and paralyzed. And we can't imagine that you've brought us to this point. To give us your mercy for the rent of our praise. 
so that you can get the glory. And so, Father, I pray through every broken moment, let us be a people of praise. Let us win the battle with praise. Praise is our weapon. And it's not predicated on our joy or our feelings or our emotions. It's simply given in response to who you are. What you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. And so God, in this place today, we give you all the praise and glory as a response. Because you're a good God. In Jesus' name. And the church said... Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Turn around, tell your neighbor, praise from east to west.